1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx.
3: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
4: Today's Sunday Morning Podcast is sponsored by Prudential.
3: What would you do if you had to choose between saving for your kid's college or your own retirement? With the cost of a four-year degree estimated to be over $200,000 in 18 years, it's a real decision many families must make. At Prudential, we want to make sure your biggest financial goals never have to come at the expense of one another. Because financial wellness means planning for their future and yours. Get started today at prudential.com slash plan for both. Prudential Insurance Company of America, Newark, New Jersey.
2: Good morning, I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. Now celebrating five years on Broadway, beautiful, the musical inspired by the life and career of singer and composer Carol King. This morning, she's sharing the milestone with our Gail King. Last
5: night, something amazing happened on Broadway. At the end of the musical about her life, Carol King appeared as Carol King. We all know her songs. Oh, baby, what you done to me? What you done to me? You make me
2: feel so good inside. Okay, I'll stop.
5: You can sing along too later on Sunday morning.
2: Connor Knighton is island hopping again, touching down this time in two tiny spots that hold one big surprise.
6: Look at the islands of St. Pierre and Miquelon on a map, and you'd have no idea they were part of France. But look around, and the connection becomes much clearer.
0: I did realize we were in France when I went into the grocery store, and the first thing I saw was an entire shelf full of wine.
6: From the flags to the festivals, these tiny islands are proud of their French connection, despite being over 2,600 miles away from Paris. The last bit of French territory left in North America later on Sunday morning.
2: Nancy Giles digs into a key lime pie fight. Tony de talks to scary movie maker M. Night Shyamalan. And more, all coming up when our Sunday morning podcast continues.
4: I'll tell you a story, a real true life story. And
2: now a page from our Sunday Morning Almanac, January 13, 1929, 90 years ago today, the the day former Wild West lawman Wyatt Earp died in Los Angeles at the age of 80. Born in Illinois, Earp led a nomadic frontier life. There was a stint as an assistant marshal in Dodge City, Kansas, and his involvement in the celebrated gunfight at the O.K. Corral in Tombstone, Arizona. Earp ended his days in California telling his story to author Stuart Lake, whose book, Wyatt Earp, Frontier Marshal, came out two years after Earp's death. Not strictly accurate in every particular, the book jump-started a Wyatt Earp legend that has only grown over the years.
6: This is the beginning of the story of Wyatt Earp, the greatest of the old fighting peace officers. A
2: A TV series, The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp, based loosely on his life, ran from 1955 to 1961 with Hugh O'Brien in the title role.
7: Now give me that gun before you get into real trouble.
2: And he's been portrayed multiple times in the movies, including a 1994 film with Kevin Costner as Earp and Dennis Quaid as his sharpshooting buddy, Doc Holliday. (laughs) Exaggerated though his frontier exploits may be, Wyatt Earp has secured a permanent place in our popular culture.
4: Wyatt,
3: I sent for you to take my job.
2: Long may his story be told. Indeed.
8: Long may
4: story be
2: told. A pie fight pitting north against south has just piqued the interest of Nancy Giles.
8: Key
3: West. Yeah! Known for picturesque sunsets. Roaming roosters. And of course, key lime pie. The signs are everywhere. But wait, is key lime pie really from Key West? Key lime pie. So where does key lime pie originate?
8: Well, that's an extremely good question.
3: Pastry chef Stella Mm -hmm. Parks' book, Brave Tart, offers this slice of pie history. The earliest recipe she could find, which dates back to the year 1931, wasn't from Florida at all.
8: It comes from a recipe published by Borden Dairy.
3: Located in New York City.
8: And it was for a magic lemon pie. And by all accounts, it's a key lime pie. It's a graham cracker crust. Mm -hmm. It's a no-cook custard that involves a can of condensed milk, some lemon juice, some egg yolks poured into this crust and topped with a little bit of whipped cream. That's a key lime pie. (laughs)
3: Needless to say, in Key West,
8: No way.
2: Why? All Why?
3: this has caused pie pandemonium.
2: What did I know about Key Lime?
3: There were just so many things that were wrong. Uh, and that I knew were wrong. And no small amount of pushback. <laughs> Cookbook author and co-founder of the Key Lime Festival, David Sloan, put out a call to action. You felt this real need to defend the pie's origins.
0: Without doubt. You yeah. know, it's a big part of our culture. You know, let
3: New York have the pizza. To give us the key lime pie. <laughs> Sloan says long before that New York recipe, Key West fishermen made the very first key lime pies on their boats. But things really took off, says Sloan, when a woman, cryptically named Aunt Sally, at Key West's Curry Mansion, brought the fisherman's recipe ashore. I think that's when they introduced the meringue, because that makes it a little fancier and more high society. And that's when they started doing the different crusts. But Stella Parks hasn't seen the proof she needs, yet.
8: I think it's important to say that there could be, in some box, some grandma has stored away her copy of this recipe from way earlier and it hasn't been discovered yet. So this is all under the caveat. of This is all I have been able to find.
3: And just for the record, you're not a New Yorker. You're not trying to claim Keelan. I'm not
8: a New Yorker, I'm a Southern girl. Okay.
3: Things were getting a little tart. So I knew what I had to do. Try both pies.
8: Kind of start out by just lightly scattering the crumbs.
3: Stella Parks made her recipe.
8: All that butter's going in there.
3: Yeah, Oh, I like the butter. Okay. David okay. Sloan okay. enlisted okay. Sheila Sands Devendorf, a fifth generation local so who followed a recipe passed down from her mother. That is so good. <laughs> and the winner is, I can't choose. It's a pie tie. Let me ask you, for the sake of peace, for the sake of uh, key lime harmony, would you share a slice of key lime pie with David Sloan?
8: Oh yeah, instantly, no problem, pretty easy. I'm here for pie. Yeah,
0: (laughs) it's pie, it should make make people happy. And that's the way I really feel about it. I mean, we're, we're, you know, it's pie.
2: Island hopping is a passion for Connor Knighton. The smaller the island, and the more unexpected, the better.
6: When France won the 2018 World Cup, this was the scene on the Champs Elysees. But over 2,600 miles away from Paris, there was a much smaller, but no less enthusiastic celebration happening on the small Rue Maréchal Foch. Inside of the one sports bar on the island of Saint Pierre, French flags were everywhere, waved and worn triumphantly, used to dry the occasional tear. It was a proud moment for all French citizens, especially for the 6,000 who live in a place most people forget as France. Donc oui, nous sommes résolument français. We are resolutely French, says Stéphane Lenormand who serves as the president of the Territorial Council of St. Pierre and Miquelon, a small French territory which, based on its position on the map, might lead most people to assume it's part of Canada. Much of North America was once New France, but today these islands are the last bits left. The French came for the fish.
7: St. Pierre exists and is still French today because of cod. It's really the main reason why people would come here. We have nothing else. I mean, uh, if you look at the island, it's barren, almost no trees, uh, you cannot grow that much things here. It was one of the richest places to fish cod in, in the world here. So you just had to have a boat and there you go. Lauriane Decheverry
6: is We're the assistant director uh, of the always- Arche Museum, which tells the story of Saint Pierre and Miquelon.
7: Something that can prove that you are already in France here is the presence of a guillotine. A guillotine was the only legal way to uh, execute someone in France.
6: You can't shoot them, you can't... No,
7: it's not legal, no.
6: Only chopping off their head. Exactly, yeah. The film The Widow of St. Pierre, starring Juliette Binoche, tells the story of the only time a guillotine was ever used in North America. The islands didn't have their own. So, after a murder conviction in 1889, they asked to borrow a guillotine from Martinique, thousands of miles away. For months and months, the convicted prisoner just hung out and waited for the arrival of the only weapon that was allowed to kill him. Over the years, the islands have had quite a violent history.
7: So uh, we changed hands many, many times. Uh, Quite often, the city was destroyed and the population was deported.
6: For over a century, the islands passed back and forth between France and England. But the French kept coming back, and in 1816, they settled for good.
7: In a way, Saint-Pierre is a new world. It was a place where you could, you know, become rich.
6: The most lucrative era in Saint-Pierre's history came entirely by accident. During Prohibition, Saint-Pierre became a bootlegging hotspot thanks to its proximity to the United States.
7: Prohibition was the best thing that happened to us. Uh, really. We did nothing to have it, but it was such a good idea for us, you know. People made so much money.
6: In more recent years, the economy has struggled. The once plentiful cod started to disappear, and in 1992, a moratorium on cod fishing in the North Atlantic all but shut down the once booming fisheries. It was a very difficult time for the territory, Norman says. It took almost 20 years to recover and to rebuild. Today we have a fishing sector, but we are developing tourism. Tourists Richard Baum and Cheryl Rodness came to visit St. Pierre from New Jersey. (laughs) Now, logistically, from you from New Jersey, what's easier to get to, here or Paris? Oh, Paris. Paris. Much easier. From Newark. For Americans, a trip to St. Pierre and Miquelon can involve inconvenient flights and ferries, The couple thought it would be a blast to spend Bastille Day, France's national holiday,
4: uh,
6: in a place so unexpectedly French. Here, the wine flows freely. And, oh, there's dancing and face painting. The locals play games of pétanque. Everything from the sausages to the ice cream is paid for in euros. Merci beaucoup. And any lingering doubt that you are, in fact, standing in France is gone the moment you step into one of the baked The fresh baguettes and cakes are just as delicious as the ones you'd see sold in Marseille or Bordeaux. For locals, this is their way of life. For visitors, it's why they come to Saint-Pierre and Michelin. It's a chance to get an authentic taste of France on this side of the Atlantic.
2: How a lone hiker had her life saved and her faith in humanity restored is the story Steve Hartman has to tell.
9: Nancy Abel admits her maternal instinct may be a little overactive. At least that was her excuse for nagging a young hiker she met along the Pacific Crest Trail in Washington State a couple months ago. That hiker's name was Katerina Gruna. And all Katerina did was mention to Nancy her plan to continue hiking, alone, up to the Canadian border.
2: She was from Germany. She had no idea what she was getting into.
9: So you tried to talk her out of well, it? I
2: sure did. In fact, I told her, if you were my daughter, I wouldn't let you do this.
9: But here's the thing. Katerina had already walked the first 2,500 miles of the trail, which starts at the Mexican border. She had just 150 to go. So Caterina brushed aside nosy Nancy's carping concern
2: and that's the last I saw of her.
9: But it wasn't the last of her worry. For the next seven nights, Nancy grew increasingly restless. She knew it was pretty late in the season to be walking that final stretch without snowshoes. And when she read the forecast for two feet of snow in the mountains, Nancy went full on mother hen.
2: I was really stressed out. I felt really compelled that I I really needed to get help for her.
1: 911, what's the address of your emergency?
2: I am not having an emergency. I'm calling about a hiker who's probably at risk.
9: Now, as a general rule, the authorities here don't go looking for missing people who aren't missing. This hiker hadn't put out a distress call, hadn't even missed a checkpoint. Yet somehow, Nancy convinced them that her hunch was an educated one. So they went searching. The Snohomish County Sheriff's Department scoured the mountain where Nancy suggested. And that's when they spotted her. Frostbit with maybe a day to live. She was soaking wet and had no way to make a fire. The rescue crew says Nancy saved Katarina's life. Definitely, without a doubt. doubt. I'll think of her as a hero for the rest of my life.
2: I'd say it's a miracle.
9: Needless to say, Nancy is sleeping much better now.
2: Okay, I get
3: that.
9: She invited Katerina to stay with her for a few days before her flight back to Germany. And as for Katerina, she says Nancy rescued her in more ways than one.
6: Someone cared.
9: She says the whole reason she did this hike, alone, was because she'd given up on people.
8: I lost faith in humanity.
9: You got that faith back in a big way.
8: Yeah, in a really big way. Come to America.
9: (laughs) Need faith restored? Come to America, okay. or just find your nearest
6: mom. Winter,
4: spring, summer,
8: or fall All you have to do is call
4: It's Sunday morning on CBS,
2: and here again is Jane Pauley. You've got a friend You've got a friend is just one of Carol King's many memorable hit songs. No wonder a musical on Broadway devoted to her life and work celebrated its 5th anniversary last night. And what a celebration it was as Gail King of CBS this morning now shows us.
5: You've got to get up every morning with a smile. It is on possible, your face, and show even the likely, that many people in love the love audience love of Beautiful, the Carol King musical, better, know most of the songs yes, by heart. I sure do as you feel. I still have my tapestry album. So far away yes. hasn't anybody seen in, in this one place, place anymore. It would be so fine, fine to, to see your face
4: at my door. When I meet people and they come up to me apologetically, I know you've heard this a million times. And I say, but never from you. And I really want to hear. From you, what did you feel?
5: Well, there was a lot of feeling last night at the Stephen Sondheim Theater, where actress Chalina Kennedy portrayed the legendary singer songwriter.
8: One of us is changing, or maybe we just stop trying. But near
5: the end of the second act, something remarkable happened. Chalina Kennedy stayed in the wings, and Carol King took the stage. Got to, to a stunned audience, King played herself to celebrate the fifth anniversary of Beautiful, an international hit that tells her life story. I've had an amazing life, absolutely amazing. A teenager from Brooklyn goes to Manhattan in the late 1950s to sell her songs. Not long after, at college, she meets lyricist Jerry Goffin, marries him, works with him, and eventually loses him. And along the way, she writes or co-writes the songs many of us grew up with. You just go. But it's something of a miracle that Beautiful ever got to Broadway. I didn't want this show to happen in the first place. At a workshop reading of the musical, King kept her coat on. I'm wearing sunglasses. I take off the backpack and I sit in the back like this with my
4: arms around my backpack. It's I was... like the fetal position upright. Yes, yeah. and also poised to leave. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I went out into the room, and I said, I've got to get some air. I can't stay for the second act. I cannot watch the second
5: act because I knew what (laughs) generally... You know how this story goes. Yes, and there are more painful moments. But King realized this show might work and ultimately gave it her blessing with one caveat. I will never go see it. I can't watch the second act.
2: You're my guy.
5: That's the point when husband Jerry Goffin has a breakdown.
10: I don't know what's happening to me.
5: He had already told King he was incapable of being faithful.
0: I can't keep going like this. I'd like to... So when
5: the musical opened on Broadway in January 2014... I didn't go to opening night. Jerry was alive,
4: then. he did. And he is portrayed as someone who causes hurt to Carol in the show. And he did. And the people who loved Jerry, who were part of the production, made him not a villain, rightly so. Mm -hmm. He... Always felt bad about having caused me pain, and to the end of his life, I'm sorry I caused you so much pain. <laughs> and he wasn't a villain, he had mental illness. What does that mean he from your standpoint? He was bipolar, although they didn't call it that then. I think they called it manic depressive. He drank some, you mm-hmm. know, he'd have a little more to drink each night, mm-hmm. and then he started smoking pot, and then other drugs started to come into the picture, and at some point he, what we
5: then called, flipped out. After attending the opening, Goffin told his ex-wife that he loved the show. Still, it took King another three months to finally come to the theater. Where did you sit? Way on the left,
4: near an exit door that went backstage. I am feeling like the most important thing at this moment Is that nobody
5: figure out that I'm me? Yep, that really is Carol King in the disguise she wore that night. And I knew that nobody would recognize me as
4: long as I didn't speak or smile. As the show unfolded, I'm like, oh
5: my God, this is so good. One of the show's most emotional moments is their mega hit song, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, which King and Goffin wrote in One Night, back in 1967, for Aretha Franklin. He gave
4: me the lyrics. Looking out on the morning rain, he just wrote it out and I'm playing this. It makes me feel so but inspired. I'm looking, I have this gift where if I see the lyrics and sometimes I just sit at the piano and it just comes out
5: just like you heard it. And if there were ever a definitive performance of that song, just watch the Kennedy Center Honors from three years ago when Aretha brought down the house.
4: Here's what surprised me. She sits at the piano. She's playing. I was knocked out because she's such a gifted piano player. Every note she sang, everything she did. Oh my God, I can't. And she did that? Oh my God.
5: I'm thinking if I was Carol King, that would be one of the highlights of my life. It is. Yeah. Oh! Carol yes. yes. King will turn 77 next month. And she says her life is truly beautiful.
4: I have so much love in my life that I don't need a man to have love in my life. I have love in my life for many men and many women, friends and family, and I now feel that I belong to the world and to myself and to what people refer to as how they understand God.
2: Willis and Haley Joel Osment confronted plenty of things that go bump in the night in the 1999 thriller The Sixth Sense, which is par for the course for the films of M. Night Shyamalan. With a brand new movie, he's at it again, and talking about it with Tony DeCoppel.
10: It's the mysterious name behind supernatural blockbusters like the movie Signs, Split, and the Oscar-nominated Best Picture, Ah! The Sixth Sense, a name whose movies keep you guessing to the very end. Now, this week, the writer and director M. Night Shyamalan is out with a new film. It is time to show the world what we are capable of. Glass starring Samuel L. Jackson, James McAvoy, and Bruce Willis.
2: The three of you think you have extraordinary gifts like something out of a comic book. I've developed an effective treatment for this disorder. (coughs) The light will force a different identity to take over. Uh, Por favor, senora.
10: I want
0: my headphones back. Step away from the controls now, little dog.
10: In a career that's also had some misses, Planning on stealing something? No, ma'am, we're not. It's another thriller. Except this time, part of the thrill... That was awesome. ...is that he got to make it at all. Do you call it a comeback? No. I'm happy
11: that everybody's happy. I don't want to put too much credence in, into that.
10: Glass is the final installment in an unexpected trilogy, nearly 20 years in the making. It all started with the 2000 film, Unbreakable. The plan, I'm guessing, was not to wait 18 years before you made the sequel.
11: (laughs) In 18 years, I'm gonna make a trilogy. No, it was, you know, when this came out and it had a kind of wonky
10: reception, I felt hurt. In the screening room at Shyamalan's house outside Philadelphia, we looked over the script of Unbreakable. This was the trickier one. The first in a three-part series about the rise of a comic book hero.
11: How'd you know that guy you bumped was carrying a weapon?
10: Though now considered a cult classic, audiences were initially confused. If you pull that trigger, that bullet is just gonna bounce off me and I'm not going to be hurt.
11: And I felt like the reaction was like, ah, what is this? This doesn't make any sense. Is it a comic book? What is this? Is it, it's not scary. That was the main thing.
10: Success had come scary fast for Shyamalan, who, when The Sixth Sense came out, was just 29.
0: Do you ever feel the prickly things on the back of your neck? Yes. That's them. They get mad. It gets cold.
10: How often do you see them?
0: All the time.
11: Do you recognize that house over there? Yeah, it's The Sixth Sense house. and. My gosh, a lot of uh, memories. I mean, in basically making movies is just full of anxiety for me. So I, every time we come to a place where I shot, it's just me feeling anxious. A younger version of myself standing here going, are we going to get the shot or, you know, or not? Or is this, good, is this look believable?
10: Is anybody going to see this movie? They did. And the film, with its much-talked-about twist ending, shot to the top of the box office. I want to tell you my secret now. Complete, of course, with one of the most quotable lines in movie history. I see dead people. The American Film Institute ranks it just behind a line from Casablanca. We'll always have Paris. And ahead of one from a streetcar named Desire. Hey, Stella! It catapulted a movie-crazed little boy from Philadelphia, the son of Indian immigrants... Both doctors who thought their son's filmmaking was just a phase onto Hollywood's A-list. Most people don't get that at that age. And yeah. Be called the next Spielberg. Yeah. I mean,
11: I heard that they originally had the cover said the next Hitchcock, and they're like, well, he's going to get killed, so don't do that. And then they switched it to Spielberg as if that's not going to kill you either.
10: But the young director says he soon felt boxed in by expectations and a series of mid-career critical failures like Lady in the Water, The Last Airbender, and after-earth seemed to damage the Shyamalan brand. When I look back on it in terms of the
11: relationship with the audience, I totally get the sense of detachment that they want a certain drink, Coca-Cola, and I'm giving them tea. Some people kind of, I mean, in a way, there there were parts of the public that thought you'd become a joke. Maybe, I just don't know who doesn't do this journey. Like, you know, you're describing the journey of an artist. And every single artist does this. I mean, every single one. And I'm so grateful for that period because it reminds me what it feels like to not be sure of myself. But did it feel like in those middle years that you were failing? It felt confusing. I was like, wow, I'm wobbly in terms of, but that's not who I am. I'm not a wobbly person.
10: So in 2015, this one-time golden boy of Hollywood...
11: And cut. Cutting, we got
10: it. Who gave himself the name Knight just before entering film school, mortgaged his home to fund a dark new thriller.
2: It's ten forty seven. We think there's someone outside the door.
10: I can't imagine the Pressure. I mean, not only is there reputation on the line, but there's your own money and your oh, home. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if you got to think of it this way, I've
11: made a huge income ever since I've been like 25 years old. That's been coming in every year, every year. And then I went, not only am I, you know, not getting paid, I'm going to pay for the movie. So we're going that direction really fast. But the
10: visit was a return to form
2: going to get
10: you back. And its success gave Shyamalan the freedom and the funds to finish off the comic book story he started so long ago.
11: Yeah. How are you, sir? Good, man. How are you?
10: Now at 48, Shyamalan, who never left for Hollywood and is a diehard Philadelphia 76ers fan.
11: I try to come to like, I don't know, 12, 15 games as much as I can, you know? It's like a dream come true, actually.
10: He's at peace with the plot twists in his own life.
11: That sense of gratitude keeps washing over me, um, and it keeps you you know, from thinking that this is permanent. It's not. That's what's so beautiful about it. It's not permanent. The ending keeps changing. It, It keeps constantly changing, yeah.
10: And right around there, you stop. And with Glass, he's betting once again that the best is still to come. So don't call it a comeback. Forget it. It's not a
11: comeback. Whatever happens with Glass, it's great. It's good. Failure, success, so if The universe wants me to fail three more times, to teach me to look to an even a higher level of connecting with the characters or my art form. I I believe in that.
2: I'm Jane Pauley. Thank you for listening. And please join us again next Sunday morning.
0: If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauley,